epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Damaris Lewis, Sports Illustrated model, is joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. You, you're, you have great personality. You can hear it in your voice. Would you date an NBA player? I'm open to anything, but it's, respect. Old school. Chivalry. Like, I listen to Sinatra in the morning. You need to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you're single, then. <laughs> With your host. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average <laughs> We will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. What's up? What's up? Hangtime podcast back on the air. Take you Smith from NBA.com's Hangtime blog. Lang Whitaker, newly minted, the mastermind behind NBA.com's All Ball blog. Yo. And the one and only Rick Fox. What's up, fellas? What up? You're the one. You're, you need to tell us what's up. You're the one in Miami. <laughs> I, know what, I know what's not up in Miami. Brandon Jennings math. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, they're, they're, he's, still, he's still alive, right? I thought he said they're going to win it in six. Yeah, he's still alive. If you uh, if three plus seven is four, and you carry the two, and then subtract nine, and, I mean his his math is all off. They, they got to sweep the Heat now to uh, to you know to come through on his prediction. But the playoffs, I mean, we're we're so deep into the postseason, which you know for a lot of people, you know myself included, it's my favorite time of the year. Um, you know to, to watch all these different series uh, going on. Then you get the coaching carousel. And all the other drama that comes, you know, with with half the league playing and, and the other half the league trying to figure out why they're not playing in the playoffs and trying to get to the playoffs. Um, before we get into the games, guys, uh, we'd be crazy not to talk about Phil Jackson and and what his next move might be. Rick, you, I mean, you know him better than either one of us, you know, Lang or myself. What I, I'm sure you laughed out loud when they when they talked about Cleveland reaching out to him. Um, that's not a, that's not exactly a Phil Jackson job. But what do you what do you think Phil is headed? Uh, yeah, I didn't think Cleveland would be a Phil Jackson job for sure. But you know, Phil was in the Midwest before. But Phil, I think, looks at the roster first and foremost. It's not it's not like he's forty years old and starting his coaching career. He's he's a coach that takes a team that's on the verge over the over the edge and takes them to the promised land. And I think Cleveland's miles away from a promised land. Uh, and in the case of entertaining the conversation, I'm sure he was testing the market to see where, where his value was and see how much maybe potentially how much control he could get uh, as he's expressed wanting both. He's wanting coaching and, and management control. Cleveland, you know, the teams that are more, more in dire straits are more apt to give up such a thing. 
but I, I didn't, ex- I didn't expect to see him, you know, choose Cle- choose Cleveland as his next stop. I was quite surprised to see Mike Brown resurface as the coach. Yeah, yeah, Lane. Did you think that was kind of? I mean, I've, I've never had an ex girlfriend who we got back together and then dated again, <laughs> and then you know, I don't know how that works. I'm, I'm once I'm out, I'm out. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of weirded out by Mike Brown going back to Cleveland. How do you, how do you mend that fence if you're Cleveland? Uh, you give him twenty million dollars. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that's uh, that's the the number I saw thrown around was five years, twenty million. I don't know if uh, I mean there, there's obviously a big difference in in that because you're it's it's contract and money money sues a lot of things. I don't think Rick. I don't think Cleveland's. I mean, they're not obviously going to be a championship contender, but I kind of think they're a good spot to if you can give them a year or two between Kyrie Irving and Verjo, they've got a lottery pick and another first rounder this year. Um, a lot of cap room. I, I, I think that's a good gig long-term. Yeah. Right. I guess I don't, I, my thing is Phil's not long-term. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Phil's win right now. Yeah, exactly. Phil's a, you know, three-year guy. And I don't think the Cleve, Cleveland Cavaliers are three years off. I right, think they're okay. three yeah. years off from being a Eastern conference elite team. But then they got to go through the rigors of figuring it out in playoffs for three years. So right, you're talking right. about when Kyrie's six, seven years in the league, and the rest of those guys grow up with him. Then you're, you know, then they're the OKC Thunder, maybe four years in. You know. I also think Rick, there was he was going to have a tough sale to get one of his new assistants to move to Cleveland and give up LA. So yeah, um, that's for sure. <laughs> that's when he's going to make the call to Rick Fox and be like, "Hey, Rick." You know, you thought about yeah. going into coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. don't. Uh, I'm serious. I, I, I mean, obviously, the money is a sweet enti- enticement for Mike Brown to go back to Cleveland, but it's got to be a tough. It's got to be a tough situation to, you know, because the way he left, a lot of people assume that you know, if LeBron was, you know, if LeBron was going to stick around, they had to make a coaching change, so they they run Mike Brown out of there. Now you come running back to him after 64 wins in the three seasons since they blew that whole thing up. And, you know, what's going to be different? I mean, what's going to change about Mike Brown's, you know, uh, coaching strategies and, you know, uh, philosophies now that that wasn't there in Cleveland, you know, when LeBron was there. So, you know, you win 60-some games with LeBron, but you got no LeBron this time. How are you going to win? I wonder how much the dynamic changes in that. You know, there was also this undercurrent the last two years he was there of what's going to happen when, Le- you know, in, in 2012 when LeBron's a free agent. Um, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in, what was it, 2010? There was this whole undercurrent. Yeah, so, like, there was this whole thing. What's going to happen? Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? How much control is Mike Brown going to give up? You know, are these guys going to do what LeBron wants them to do or not? I think maybe this is a chance for Mike Brown to coach the Cavaliers and be 100% in charge. Um, you know, there's not this uh, pressing concern of of what is the roster going to be. They've got guys. They they know what they're going to build on, and they're going to have this team for a while. And now they get to actually turn it into something. I guess. I mean, I um, and I like Mike Brown. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking Mike Brown. I'm just wondering how you go back to a situation where you were, you know, and and make, you know, make it different. Um, you know that's that's going to be a challenge for him, I think. And uh, you know that's not that's not the only coaching opening out there. That, you know that was filled, but I mean there's some other coaching openings out there: Philadelphia, uh, Detroit, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the available coaches and the jobs that are open now, and obviously more could come open as the playoffs go on and teams take stock of, you know, what they've got and, and what they want to do. I just that Cleveland job to me was one of the was going to be one of the better open jobs, um, and it's it's filled so quickly. I, you know, I don't know if Philly or Detroit are quite as promising in terms of you know like like you mentioned like the the, the young talent um cap space where they you know where they're situated draft wise uh is there another job that you think is is, is soon to be filled and, and has somebody in mind i don't i'm looking around i don't i don't see any good fits right now i think a couple more will open up a couple ones that you'd be shocked by oh i'm not gonna be shocked nothing <laughs> nothing shocks yeah, me anymore um but I, you know, I don't think it's. I mean, we're not we're not giving up trade secrets here when we talk about some of these jobs that could come open. I mean, depending on what the Clippers do, we know, you know, Vinny Del Negro could be in a situation where he's he's out. Um, PJ Carlos Small doesn't have any long term security in Brooklyn. Larry I mean, Drew. There are some jobs that could get really interesting. Uh, Larry yeah. Drew's at the end of his contract in Atlanta. Huh? Yeah, uh, and that that's not quite as sexy a job to me as it was. Maybe you know. Three, three, four years ago when it looked right. like, okay, they got a chance to be really, really good the next few years. Yeah, I agree. Lang, are you are you taking it back a little bit by the way the Hawks are finishing the season and finishing out this string with all these players, you know, at the end of contracts and Larry Drew at the end of contracts? I mean, three, four years ago, you know, the Hawks looked like they were going to be that team that had a young core that could really, you know, make a step up in the East. And now, they could potentially be another one of these teams trying to rebuild it or something. I mean, trying to trying to respackle, you know, the bathroom. I mean, this, this thing could be a, a full-blown rebuild if they're not careful. Well, I tweeted before the Hawks-Pacers game one that the Hawks were either going to steal the game or lose by 20 because um, that's just what happens with the Hawks. Um, it's happened in my entire life watching the Hawks. Um, and they, they got beat pretty good. Uh, watching that game um, – I kind of came to the realization or conclusion or something that, look, th- this team, even if you re-sign Josh Smith, even if you get Lou Williams healthy, uh, if Zaza's healthy, um, I just don't know if that's this is a team that is going to compete with Miami or a, a healthy Chicago or the Knicks. Like, is that is the Hawks roster as it is now, I don't think it's good enough to win a title. Um, and that's not a big shock. I mean, there's a reason they finished sixth in the East. <laughs> But I, I just – how do you make that team better without um, some major moves? And maybe you have to get worse to get better. I don't know. But uh, it, as a Hawks fan, you know, watching that game, I was like, well, I, I, I kind of feel like it's over a little bit. Rick, do you believe in that philosophy that get worse to get better? I mean, I, I know people always say that. Then they get worse and stay worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, well, um, I I believe in it in as it pertains to fantasy basketball because I <laughs> I, I drove my fantasy team and I drove my fantasy team in the ground last year and won it this year, and and <laughs> primarily because I knew that the middle the middle was the, a terrible place to sit, meaning you know mediocrity is just yeah. you know you can you can be there and stuck there just as easy as you can be stuck in the bottom, and if winning championships is what it's all all about. Sometimes you got to take it, you know, you got to take it down to come back up. And unfortunately, when you're talking about the real world outside of fantasy, 
you know, there's people paying good money to come and see their team play, and they want them to be competitive. And you can put a competitive team on the floor, but putting a championship team on the floor is a whole another level. And very few teams do that because it takes great strategy and great, you know, great planning uh, and great growth within your organization from the players themselves. And, and so there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, when I tell you the players I dropped on my fantasy team this year to, to get to a championship <laughs> as we were going along, I dropped Chris Paul. Dropped, you know, like, so, you, you know, you wouldn't let a Chris Paul go for uh, Kevin Garnett and Steve Nash. You know, like especially when I dropped Steve Nash and Kevin Garnett like a, two weeks later because they were injured and weren't playing. So you know, it, right. it, it's got the, the unemotional, the, the ability to be unemotional about uh, the value of these players in fantasy is different than you know when you're strapped to right. you know individuals who like Josh Smith. Look how they struggled with the decision of Josh Smith. Right. Well, right. to me, Josh would have been gone a long time ago if he was on my fantasy, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, team because I had an opportunity to trade for him and I and I didn't because I know you know certain things about his game. Uh, right. So Danny Ferry's has, he has definitely got his work cut out for him. But what he looks to uh, to be doing, if I was to write the tea leaves or read the tea leaves as they say, not write them, um, this team is going to go down. I think Larry Drew just did a, a very good job of keeping them above water as the ship was heading. <laughs> Heading, you know, heading down, you know, heading down towards the level it had to go to get back up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, opponent of the get worse to get better because I've, I've covered teams that were worse, and boy, it's hard. I mean, it's hard as hell to get out of that rut when you know when you start thinking and you can't, you know, you got to count on so many things going right. You got to get the right pick in the right draft, and the player has to actually show up and turn out. You know. You, then you then you gambling in free agency on on guys that you think can help you, but you're not sure. It's like, man, that's a tough way to live for a fan base, you know. And, and Lang mentioned Hawks fan base. I know that has, you know, that's a tough, it's a tough life, man. It's not only that so much stuff has to go right; it's so much stuff has to go perfect. You can't, you know, one one contract can mess up the entire thing. One bad draft right. pick messes up the whole thing, and and it's uh, I don't really know how they. Um, I mean, you almost have to not only be perfect, you have to be lucky, you know, in, in some sense. San yeah. Antonio happens to David Robinson gets hurt, and then they get Tim Duncan, and they're set for a long time. And then they they, they hit home runs on these draft picks with Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. And, um, right. you know, it, you have to be perfect to, to pull that off, um, or else you end up just being bad every single year. And, you, you know, you look at, I don't know, Charlotte or a team like that who can't get out of that rut. Yeah. Um, and it's just a tough place to be. You know what? You talk about uh, driving it that year in, with the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. I was on a Celtic team uh, in 97 where we won 15 games that year, and in, for the very reason they were driving it into the ground because they right. had two picks. They had two lottery picks, a shot at getting Tim Duncan. And you yep. talk about that little bit of luck. <laughs> they got the two worst possible picks they could have gotten <laughs> which was the third and the sixth pick. And what, what what did the next five years look like for the Celtics? Rick Pitino came in, uh, you know, they mi- middle of the road, didn't go anywhere. And then eventually he, you know, he was run out. And, and it took them till 2008 to get back to where they were championship team. So that's, you know, that's an 11 year difference. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. at that. I'm looking at that draft right now. Um, 
you know, Duncan was one, Keith Van Horn was two, number three, the Celtics took Billups, and then they took Ron Mercer at number six. But that was a that was a they traded him the next the, the next that same year. Yeah, there were, yeah, it's not like they it's not like they passed on any like future all stars either though. Really, there weren't a lot of guys in that draft who turned out to be. I mean, Tracy McGrady went number nine, but otherwise, there weren't a lot of guys who lit up the NBA for the next five or six years. I mean, that was really the Tim Duncan draft, right? But you speak yeah. to the luck. You need the luck. Yeah, totally. Where, you know, San Antonio. I don't think they were. Who were they in the in the lottery ranking to pull the Tim Duncan ball out of the lottery? Yeah, no. Well, that 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 always gets me because people, who, the the conspiracy theorists, who say, you know, the NBA is going to rig the league and try to help the better teams. You really think they would give Tim Duncan to like one of the smallest markets and the you know, <laughs> the team that already had David Robinson? Like I, that, to me, that draft was is a good uh, argument against that theory. Well, the, the flip side to these teams that are stuck are teams like Golden State. Um, you talk about a fun team to watch, a fun yeah. game to watch. The way they the way they shot the lights out on Denver, shooting sixty five percent in the playoff game, what fifty seven percent from three. I mean, are you serious? But it, you, then you look at the the core of their team: Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, Harrison Barnes. These are draft picks. These are guys that they drafted, you know. Um, and that to me is impressive when you can go out. I mean, this is after losing David Lee uh, for the rest of the playoffs, you know, with a torn hip flexor. I mean, it, that is the the flip side of. Of, of not being lucky and not making the right choice, not, you know, paying the right guys. I mean, and they struggle. They've struggled, obviously, in their history and here recently, but they're in, a, they're in a mode right now where if they make good decisions going forward with what they already have, they got a chance to be one of those teams that, that rises and stay, you know, because it's, it's not about just getting out of the rough for a year or two, making the playoffs, getting lucky, having a good season, and then you can't maintain it. It's about getting out of that mess and then, finding a way to be a good team year after year. And I well, think, I think the, the Warriors are in that, on, on that track if they can keep it going. Yeah, in in our little game we play sometimes on the show, where in the world is, is Carmen Rick Diego? <laughs> um, I, I, it wasn't but a year ago that I, the Lakers were playing the Golden State Warriors. I was up in, San, in, in the Bay Area. Uh, went to the game with the owner, Peter Gruber, sat courtside. It was actually the night that he got – the email that he and Magic and those guys had won the bid for the Dodgers. I couldn't figure out why everyone kept coming up to him to congratulate him, but he turned and told me, yeah, we just won the bid for the Dodgers. But we got in the conversation at, at, during that game about, you know, the fact that they were hoping to get this seventh pick, uh, you know, and they didn't, you know, they were trying to rebuild this team and they had a lot of youth. And I, and I was just thinking, wow, you know, it, uh, you got some good youth here in Steph Curry, but he can't stay healthy. Got, you know, you got a really active guy in David Lee, Clay Thompson, fellow Michael Thompson, Bahamian. You know, I was rooting for him. Uh, <laughs> you, you could see some of the youth on the team, but you know, if they don't get that seventh pick, they don't get Harrison Barnes, and and if they, you know, and so in 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 start to structure the perfect scenario and the plan for this team to go forward. Uh, last year, one year later, they're a six seed and they look like they could potentially knock off the Denver Nuggets and move into the next round the way they're playing right now. Yeah. It, it, it speaks to how, you know, you talk about Cleveland Cavaliers, youth. You, you know, you don't, youth has to develop too. And you don't know, 
you draft the Harrison Barnes. You don't know that a year later in the playoffs you're going to play him at the four position and he's going to be a matchup, you know, differential. And, <laughs> and, and and so you know you can't see the, you can't see these things way out. But I knew it. And hearing them, hearing uh, Peter talk that night, that they really were going with a youth-driven approach. They were going to build through the draft, and and hope that those those players became a, a group that you know grew together, became cohesive. And and you look at them now and you think, man, this team for the next five years is pretty stacked. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and Seku knows this. The Hawks were like the same way. They're like, we're going to build through the draft and make this guy. And then they took Marvin Williams instead of Chris Paul or Darren Williams. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And then they took Sheldon Williams instead of Rudy Gay or Brandon yeah. Boy. But I mean, let's yeah. not, let's not dredge the, let's not drag the Hawks through their own mud here. I mean, there have been plenty of teams that screwed up picks. They just happened to screw them up colossally. You know, like they made some completely, you know, bungled decisions. But, but Rick, you talk about the Warriors. It's not just the youth movement. I give Bob Myers and, and their front office staff a lot of credit too for Jared Jack, Carl Landry. They went out and found good role players, veterans to come in and, and play big for them. You know, nobody thought Festus Azili was going to play big minutes. He ends up playing big minutes because Bogut is not healthy. You know, they they traded Monte when there was some, you know, them ambivalence about whether or not that was a good deal. Do you get do you get him out of there and bring in Bogut, who's been injured? But, you know, I mean, that's, you got to take so many risks as an organization and make so many crucial decisions that, that if they turn out great and if they don't, you sit there looking like a moron for, you know, why they do this, why do that. I'm I'm down here watching the Heat in Miami, and I'm saying to myself, Chris Anderson was – the Birdman was shooting hoops in some gym in Texas. And and they went and got him and signed him to a 10-day, and the next thing you know, here he is in the playoffs. He's been the difference, basically, in these first two games with his energy and effort off the bench, which is stunning. You know I mean? It, but you have to have some fearlessness as an organization and as a front office, if you can go out there and take some chances that I'm not sure everybody is willing to take in the NBA. Look at Kenya Martin. Yeah. For the different yeah, great example. Next. Great example. Yeah. Do you guys think, uh, you know, there, after the game last night, after that Warriors game, there was a lot of talk. Um, the Warriors are back. They're playing small ball. They're fun. Are they going to win that series? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I think it, it's anybody's series now when you split those first two games. That's how I always look at it. Um, because now they get to go home and play in front of their crowd, which is going to be straight zany, you know, just yeah. off the hook. And they did what any – to me, they did what any road team has to do to give themselves a legitimate chance to win the series. And that's – they won they, – they made a split those first two games. They, they win this series, and here's why. Because Harrison Barnes is enough of an athlete and enough of a body to, to to put a body on Fareed or any power forward that they they may put in the game, he's, he's physically strong enough to put up enough of a fight. We might as and, well be and, playing the North Carolina alma mater in the background right now. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, but and and to me, the 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 ability for them to knock down shots across the board just creates too much spacing. And if Andrew Bogut stays healthy, then yeah, you, you get, you get enough. I mean, cause they're going to go to golden state right now and they're going to put two wins on the board and it's going to be three, one and it's going to happen quick because they're comfortable in they're comfortable in Oracle arena. I'm telling you. Yeah. The, the fact that they went and won in Denver too. I mean, in a place where hardly anybody's been able to win this year, you know, 
for them to take one in Denver like that is stunning. First game, they had their shots in the first game as well. Right, right. Um, do you think, I mean, we look around at these first-round series and who might get popped, who might not. The Bulls, you know, go in in game two and, and turn that thing upside down, put Brooklyn in a, in a really precarious position now, Lane, because if, if, you, if you're Brooklyn and Joe Johnson hurt and, you know, Darren Williams can be bottled up the way he was the other night, that changes the way they play. And, and, and they were toying around with the rotation. And you keep Reggie Evans and Gerald Wallace on the court, uh, you know, and, and take away a shooter that then slows the game down and, and clogs up the offense. I mean, that, P.J. Carlos has got the choice to make in that series, too, about his personnel and who he uses and how he uses them. Otherwise, they could be in a tight spot. I, I was I was talking to Greg about this, uh, our super producer, Greg Wagon, before we started. And I think I think Brooklyn, the way the, the real Brooklyn Nets are somewhere in between the, the teams we saw in game one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in game one, they shot 50-something percent against the Bulls. Like, how often does that happen? In game two, they were almost historically terrible. I think two for 19 <laughs> in the third quarter. Like, they were awful. Right. Um, the, neither one of those teams is the real team. I think if you can outscore Chicago, you're going to win because the the Bulls have trouble scoring. Um, you know, maybe you get a hot night from Nate Robinson or or something, or Heinrich is hitting his shots or something. But uh, I I think Brooklyn can win that series, and I think they should win that series. Um, I you know I also don't know how much you're going to get from Joakim Noah night tonight. Um, he was awesome in Game Two, basically playing on one leg. But can he do that over and over again, or is or is this the kind of thing with this with his foot killing him that's going to get worse as he goes along? Um, so t- to me, I, I think, I think Brooklyn's going to win that series and I, I think they should win it, but I, um, I don't, I, I kind of think we all have this, um, uh, reaction, sort of the way we all react to Golden State last night, where you think you see one amazing performance and you immediately think, well, that's the team. That's who we, that's what we, that's what we're going to see the rest of the series. But it's, there's a lot of shades of gray there that, that we, you kind of get overlooked in the, in the moment. Are you yeah. challenging my Golden State prediction? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to come right out and say it, but uh... <laughs> I, I said you, you're not as hyped on Golden State as I am after one performance. I'll tell you what. One, if, Har- one Harrison Barnes uh, audition. I love Harrison, but I'll tell you what. If Golden State shoots uh, 60% the rest of the series, then I think they'll win the series. How about that? Yes. Oh, so you think they have to shoot 60%? If they shoot, keep shooting 60%, they're going to win the championship. What are you talking about winning the series? <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, they gave up 117 points to Denver. Um, I don't. Yeah. I think Denver will make some adjustments. Um, Denver can score. <laughs> That's not a problem. And I don't think Denver is going to be that bothered by that game last night. You know, they, they have those Iguodala, Dre Miller, guys who've been around. They're not going to worry about that. They're going to be okay. Um, and hey, okay, remember who won bragging rights? <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you think uh, – I mean – I've looked at some of the awards that have been handed out so far. Um, do you think that the the writers got these awards right, Rick? You know, uh, most improved to Paul George, uh, defensive player of the year to to, to Marc Gasol, J.R. Smith gets a six man. I mean, are we are we on the right track in award season so far? You know what I, I believe in that most improved shouldn't come solely because you get more minutes. Mm-hmm. Because there'd be a lot of guys who, 
who would who you know who would be most improved candidates if they got if they got off the bench. I also would like to see there can be a consideration of, oh, let's see, you've had the same you've had the same opportunity, but your game jumped, you know, to a whole new level. You went from a good player to right. an all star player. Um, right. But in terms of Paul George, I think I think he definitely he was getting minutes last year. Um, Danny Granger's absence, he he took it to another level and became an all star. Um, right. And yeah, and so uh, that, I'm I'm 100% okay with that. I thought uh, there had been a couple other people um, out there that could warrant it too, but he was he was especially after that first game performance where he got a triple double. Triple double, yes. Yeah. He, he like he improved to another level from from where you know where we were accustomed to him in the regular season. So yeah, congratulations, yeah. J.R. Smith definitely. You know Crawford had a, a hot start to the season, but J.R. Smith I thought had a Hot start, you know, consistent middle and a strong, strong finish. Right. And, right. Uh, Jamal has, has been unhealthy and has tailed off at times for me in the season. So, Jr. What was the other one? Uh, well, you know, Marcus All won Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Marcus All. Yeah. Yeah. I voted for Marcus All. Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, who would Who would you have picked over Marcus All? For defensive player of the year, um, I can You know, look, just because you lead the league in block shots, that doesn't make you a defensive player of the year. Uh, Larry, I don't think Larry Sanders is is puts enough of a physical presence in the paint, right? To like, he doesn't clog up the paint. People don't. People still challenge the paint in the Watching him in these first two games, you know, game one, he wasn't on the floor long enough to make a difference. But, Watching the game, too, I'm telling you, LeBron, D-Wade, they avoided the paint when he was in there a lot. I mean, they, they, they looked up and said, mm, you know, like I'm not going to challenge this guy who's a rim protect like that. And I didn't realize how long Larry Sanders was until I, you see him yeah. in person. I mean, this dude, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. He's, he's got those, a strange frame because he's very slight. You know, he's not going to go down there and just move people out of the way. But he affects shots and changes shots and, and makes you think twice about coming in there so much that it, that it really gives the Bucks a defensive presence that they wouldn't otherwise have. No offense to J.J. Reddick and Monte and Brandon Jennings and Mike Dunley. That's not exactly a team full of defensive stoppers, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I voted Larry Sanders' most improved player, actually, um, just because I thought from what he came from last year to this year. Um, and, and to me, yeah, he's not a banger in the paint, like Rick pointed out, but he, he, he affects games. Um, yeah. And guys are afraid to drive in there. Um, I had him most improved. I had Paul George number two um, mm-hmm. in there. And I also I, – I picked Paul George third on defensive player of the year um, just because I thought I, – I, I had I had Gasol one, Joey Kim Noah two, and Paul George three just because I thought um, Paul George is maybe the best perimeter defender for the entire season that I saw this year. Well, no one yeah. called me for voting, so I didn't, I didn't vote at all for anyone. So. Well, you, you probably, probably getting, your, getting your, your thoughts on it now, so we can get them straight. We can make sure we yeah. really got them right. Well, they've already named everyone. <laughs> I meant to, um, <laughs> so, my, so I'm not going to have much swaying power. Um, yeah, we didn't say we didn't say there was going to be any recounts. What are the other awards still here's left? The, here's the here's here. the hardest one for me. The hardest one. Um, was doing the all NBA teams first, second, and third team. Um, so I, I've got my ballot in front of me. My first team was uh, LeBron and Durant at the forwards. 
you have to pick two forwards, two guards, and a center. Not necessarily, you know, point or shooting or whatever. But right. So my my forwards were LeBron and Durant. My guards were Chris Paul and Kobe, and my center was Marcus Gasol. Because who who is the All NBA center in your book? That was the hardest part for me. First team center All NBA. Yeah, I mean, it could have been. I mean, it, you could have went with Gasol. I think you could have went with Tim Duncan. Um, yeah, so, I know he's he's always maintained he's not a center, which we all he, know he is. He says um, he says he's not a center. Uh, he's the greatest power forward of all time. Uh, but the other thing with Duncan was his minutes. You know, he he really didn't play a lot of minutes this year. Um, and looking at the stats, Gasol played a ton more minutes than Duncan had played. Um, when I, I was like going through and looking at all this stuff before I did it, and and to me, I was um, as as good as Duncan was. I thought Gasol played a more uh, consistent role. Yeah, you know what's tough to me is the position specific you know, uh, requirements on the All NBA team. Somebody always ends up getting shafted. I hate to Carmelo. Uh, I was gonna say no, Carmelo. Carmelo's yeah, going mean, to because he's going to be behind Durant, LeBron for the next ten years. Yeah, he's going to always get get squeezed on that on the team by LeBron and Durant. Um, but man, it's tough. I mean, to me, you could make an argument for him, and then you look up and go, yeah. Except for those other two guys led their teams to the number one seeds in their respective conferences. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's like they're going to have you're going to reach a point where the resume out, you know, their resumes outweigh. Carmelo's in, in that regard. I mean, Carmelo won the scoring title. But like I said, both those guys teams finished above his in the standards. So they need to go to know. they need to go back to that um they need to go back to like the all star game. Three forwards, two guards. Yeah. <laughs> Front court, back court. Yeah. Would, yeah. Would, Front hey, court, back court. About, I'll tell you the other one that Kobe getting in on a kill Kobe going first team over some of those other to me, the I, I picked Kobe first team just because he carried that team all season long. Um, right. Uh, you know, I the, I almost put Dwight Howard first team center. Um, I mean, I know Rick loves him, but Dwight Howard. <laughs> he played seventy six games. He averaged seventeen points a game. He led the league in rebounding, twelve rebounds a game. Um, I, you know, and, and you're looking for a center. I mean, his numbers were better than. Pretty much everyone else who played center, but how weird would that be to have two Lakers, the team that barely made the playoffs, on first first team All NBA? Uh, so I, I put Dwight on the second team, but uh, I just I, I couldn't put two Lakers on the first that's, team. That's pretty. What's you can that? argue that that was pretty generous of you. I said you can argue <laughs> that was really generous of you. Yeah, well. I knew you'd love that. But you know. Well, you know, but you know, it's because I think it's more than just statistics. But yeah, uh, right. Statistically, statistically, yeah, you could you could be fooled by the numbers that he's put up. <laughs> if you look at other performances that he's had in careers throughout his year, does it live up to those where he's been uh, yeah, well, not he, a first? He, no, yeah, he's, he's played up to his own, uh, you know, ridiculously high standard, and that's the that's 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 just a fact. I mean, that's you know. No, he's a he's a victim of his own, you know, previous accomplishments. Um, I, I just don't see I, him as a top, the top ten player in the league this year. Right, no, but you're, but but you're not looking at the top ten players. You're looking at the top. No, you gotta be the but I, I I don't I think first second. I don't think you get a pass just because you're in a position uh, in a in a position that just is weak. But you do. I agree with. I, I agree with the two, two guard, three forward, you know, front court, back right, court. Right, 
I, I, I do I just, too, but unfortunately that wasn't what, what the ballot is. You know, well, we need to change the rules. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? Here's the other thing. So uh, the guards. So I had Kobe and Chris first team. Uh, who are your two guards, second team? Who are your two guards, third team? Yeah, that, that was tough. Um, you know, to me, you had to put Russell Westbrook, yeah. you know, yeah. on one of those first two teams. Um, and, and I think James Harden earned a spot on, you know, at on the third team or, you know. But my, my tough thing was, what did he do with Rondo? Um, Rondo. The season ended early. You know, I mean, his at the time he went down, though, he was leading, you know, he was having a monster season himself. You know, the team was struggling a little bit, but he was having a great season. And then what do you do with Darren Williams, who, who struggled early and then played like gangbusters down the stretch? And then Steph Curry is a guy who didn't, you know, didn't make the all-star team. But you look at his team's accomplishments, certainly should be considered, you know, one of those, for one of those spots. I'll tell you what um, I did with Rondo as I left him off all the teams because he played 38 games. I know. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, that, that, I think Steph Curry needs to be in there on the third team. I had Steph Curry on my third team. Definitely. I had I Harden I, second teamer. I had Harden. You gotta have Harden on there. I had Harden and Parker second team, and Westbrook and Curry third team. Yeah. See, not Tony Parker is another one. I mean, Tony yeah. Parker played fantastic early, but he didn't. Yeah. I mean, he struggled after the All Star break. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would have put. I don't know that I could have put him on, on second team over Westbrook. Yeah, for all the stuff you, you love and hate about Westbrook's game, you talk about a dude who's been consistent, you know. Um, he's been, you know, he's been consistently maniacal all year, you know, um, doing his thing. And the dude never missed a game, so it's not like he's got the injury issue that some of these other guards have. Um, but what do you do with D-Wade this year? Like, does he not make any of those – he or, Chris, or, or Chris Bosh. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean if, I, I, that was the other thing is I, I struggled with Wade and Bosh just because, I mean, it's the best team in the NBA all season long, and you're going to have one player in the top three teams, you know? Um, yeah, you got two Lakers, like you said. You could end up with two Lakers possibly on, on some people's first team ballots. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, but 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 can you put Wade ahead of any of those guards? I don't know. I'm saying I don't, I don't think you can, but I, I'm just saying I think it presents a really tough. I mean, they won they won 27 straight games, and Wade was playing. He's played great. Yeah. You know, and during I, the, the second greatest win streak in league history. But then, the, you then know, Darren Williams factor in a slow start. Then you're like, I mean, so what? So Steph Curry gets left off again. <laughs> I'm not slighting anybody in particular. I'm just saying. These are, these are all things that have to yeah, be Yeah, no, I'm not saying the way not working. I, I, yeah. I, I, Why are you hating somebody, on us? Uh, I agree Steph with you. Somebody's getting hated on. <laughs> I can't I'm believe Seku hates somebody's getting left off one way or another. So. I can't believe Seku hates Steph Curry so much. I love Steph Curry. I, I know. Mean, What's that about, Seku? <laughs> Just because you're down in Miami, <laughs> man. Wow. I, I love me some Steph Curry. I don't, I'm not trying to get clowned by, by him, you know, with Dwight. Going off like the Dwight going off on Rick. I've never seen Rick Fox play. <laughs> I don't want to get in that realm, but but no, I mean I, I just think they're always going to be tough choices. You know, David Lee led the league in double doubles this year, but he, he you know does he make anybody's you know All NBA team? You know, and then you look at Al Horford a couple of years ago made All NBA. 
when you had to pick a center, you know, and like you said, because the position is light, he got on. And I'm not saying he didn't have a good season. I'm just saying, you, you know, history is going to chronicle him as one of the top 15 players in the league at that time based on the position he played. Uh, and, and I you know, was he one of the top 15 guys? Maybe, maybe not. But by virtue of the position he plays, he had to be on that list. So... I want to recount on on the ballots, like some of the, some of these jokers who were voting. Who was the dude? I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the, the the returns on some of these awards, and like somebody voted Kevin Durant most improved. I'm like, really? <laughs> I saw like, that too. From what? Well, the best you one know, was that Jordan Crawford got a first place vote for sixth man of the year. Yeah, you got to be the sixth man on your team, don't you, to be? <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be somebody I mean, meant Crawford? to pick. Jordan Crawford. Somebody, Jordan Crawford. Yeah, they must have meant Jamal Crawford. Because they, they, they're right next to each other on the ballot. They must have just picked the wrong one. I guess. I'm just, I'm just saying, you, you ought to have to, you know, maybe, maybe we need to give everybody the everybody that votes should take the Wonder League before they get the ballot. <laughs> just to <laughs> I always, I post my ballot every year. I posted – that was one of the last things I did for Slam last week was I posted my ballot just because – I'll, I'll be, I'll at least, you know, if you disagree with me, that's fine. You can have your opinion and we can talk about it, but at least I'll, I'll put it out there at least. So I guess, I mean, that's, that's a good thing. I, I do like reward season. It, it makes it interesting. I don't think there's a whole lot of suspense with uh, the MVP whenever they hand it out. And it's some, I'm sure somebody will have, you know, uh, Kimba Walker, you know, has some, somebody has voted Kimba Walker on their all, all NBA ballot. He'll get, you know, got a third place vote but let's be real i mean you think lebron has a chance to be the first unanimous mvp in league history uh i I think it should be yeah Uh, you're saying unanimous yeah yeah i don't don't, someone will vote for someone else somebody will vote for jordan Crawford or something but (laughs) i i hope it's unanimous because it should be but i think someone will want some attention and vote otherwise i voted someone will vote kevin yeah, I voted for Dwight Howard, but um <laughs> Yeah. I'm glad you outed yourself now when that pops up. <laughs> Everyone's like, Who voted? Who voted for Dwight? Rick's gonna be ringing my doorbell in a couple of days. He's gonna be on your lawn. <laughs> well you don't have you ain't got no lawn in New York. I don't have a lawn, no. I got concrete outside. <laughs> Uh, they're overrated. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, we'll see, like I said, we'll see on some of that stuff. I mean, great playoff action still coming up. Um, you know, and, and again, the award season, the coaching carousel. We maybe by, maybe by this time next week, Phil Jackson will have decided his his coaching future. Maybe not, but uh, we'll hang on every word, of course. In between now and then, Rick, before we go, Rick, I got to ask the Kobe tweeting live tweet in the game, game one, Lakers Spurs. Um, you know, I heard a sour metal world piece that he didn't mind at all. You know, he wished Kobe tweeted all the time. Uh, obviously, Twitter is not going anywhere, but where do you stand on whether or not it was kosher for Kobe to tweet like that during the game and, and for it to be played up the way it was on the networks, you know, with them kind of doing a blow-by-blow during the game of Kobe's tweets? Well, I, I, I'm sure Kobe thought it would get attention and maybe initially thought it would entertain the fans but what you learn quite quickly and he's still fairly new to twitter 
is that you really real you really learn quickly the power of of Twitter when it comes to your voice directly uh, being processed as a quote or as as you know direct communication to the world. And I had that happen and I, when I was a young Twitter a Twitette. Um, I I made, I had 750 followers and I thought I was talking to 750 people and someone picked ESPN picked up my 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 140 character rant and it became big news. So you you know I think he in his response to not doing it again, uh, I think he realized how much of a, a distraction it can be. I, I don't I didn't have a problem with what he was tweeting. Uh, I think because he is a player and he's inside. It's going to affect his teammates and affect the coaching staff because they still he has a strong presence. He has a greater presence than all of them combined together when it comes to the Lakers and the city of L.A. And they're under such pressure and scrutiny as it is. If he's second guessing strategy or suggesting that strategy isn't actually uh, correctly being implemented, uh, it's going to it's going to raise a lot of debate after the games by the press amongst the players and they're, you know, they're going to feel, they're going to feel in some ways pointed out. It goes back to the old rule. What happens in here? Let it stay here. When you leave here, it's kind of like the locker room credo. Kobe's still a part of that locker room. Right. And so right. what happens, he's no longer inside the locker room as he's home rehabbing, but it does kind of in his case extend beyond the locker room because he has the power to bring the world to the Laker locker room uh, by what he has to say. So I don't. I think he meant no ill, no ill harm to or distraction. It just created it, and I think he's smart to notice it and to back off. Zaza Pachulia tweeted from the Hawks account during Game One of, of the Hawks Pacers game. Um, he didn't say anything more or less uh, insider than Kobe said. He, he you know, and I, and I don't think Kobe said anything that was giving away trade secrets. You know, he throw the ball in the post. Yeah. I mean, like what, what? What's the big? What's the big uh, secret there? But uh, I, I think the big difference there was that uh, the Hawks obviously set this thing up and had Zaza do it, and they knew he was going to do it. I don't really think it, from the way that thing played out with the Lakers, I don't think that anyone knew that he was going to do that because it just started happening. And you're like, oh wait, is Kobe going to do this? And and you know, did Dan Dan Tony seemed surprised by it after the game and rolled his eyes, and uh, so I, I think there was. An element there of the team and Kobe not being on the same page, um, and that's why what happened happened. Yeah, Yeah, well, he did. He did appoint himself coach. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually usually the coach of the team selects his assistants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, they like like circumventing his his power. You know. Yeah. Well, they got to get on Kobe's page. I mean, obviously. Like Rick said, it's just, <laughs> they, better, they better get on Kobe's page and figure it out because that you know the difference too, Lang is no network is going to spend the entire broadcast talking about what Zaza says on the Twitter account, exactly. whether they whether they know it or not. But when Kobe speaks, you know ears ears are certainly going to perk up and people are going to be talking about it. Fans certainly will follow on every tweet of his, you know, and even for the people who weren't at that game, I mean, it, hell, I started. Follow, you know, I had to follow the tweets. So I was like, let me, let me see what Kobe says next. You know, I mean, well, it's, I was thinking it's inevitable. As the, as the game was going on, I was thinking, uh, you know, even though Kobe's new to Twitter, and I, I was looking, and his like first tweet was something like, "We got to throw it in the post." 
and I looked and it got retweeted something like 20,000 times. Um, and you know, I, I was tweeting for TNT last night during the game for the TNT overtime thing. And I tweeted one thing that got retweeted by the NBA and I got, you know, immediately got something like 300 responses from people just saying like, no wrong, right, whatever, just one word things. But so I was thinking, well, Kobe must know that this is causing a lot of attention, right? I mean, you, you might, you can't be that insulated, even if you're home in bed with your leg propped up and iced that when you tweet, you have to know that that it's it you I mean he's watching the game he has to see them talking about his tweets on the game right Could you imagine if LeBron was sitting home and tweeted live tweeted a game of Durant I mean it's, there's only a select few guys in the league who could do that that would draw that much attention uh, and, Kobe, and Kobe's right there at or you know or near the top of that list so it, it makes it tough for Mike D'Antoni who I believe his exact comment was I don't tweet or I'm not a Twitter I think he had, he had some statement about that yesterday where he kind of, you know, and I thought he handled it pretty smooth yesterday where he kind of, he dismissed it and didn't take, you know, really didn't take any more questions about it to kind of shut that whole thing down because now Kobe, you know, now he, everybody's going to be watching tonight to see if Kobe tweets anything before or after the game. So he's not going to tweet during the game, but, you know, he does, there's going to be eyeballs waiting to see if he does something. Yeah. Right. But uh, but anyway, fellas, glad everybody could carve out a little time in their day this week for a nice little uh, bootleg, as I like to call it, hang time podcast here. And, you know, nobody's in the studio, but but our producer Greg Wagon and uh, our, our audio engineers, special Gerald Wall, and uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, we'll we'll be situated and, and uh, have some guests for you here on the Hang Time Podcast to make sure we bring you everything we can on the NBA and the NBA playoffs. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And as always, say Kuna Matata.